Chakshuru-mulitam-de-natas-mai-si-guru-ve-namah-ajunulam-vitta-bhujo-kanakabhadatu-sankirtanayaka-pitaro-kamalayadakshu-vishvam-baro-dvijabaro-yuga-dharma
like other instruments, mind and senses, so forth, can be used to better our situation. But that's not always the case. So theoretical, and besides that, even theoretical understanding of the predicament, just like in psychology, um, you can know that the reason you act in a particular way is because of a particular incident in your life, earlier in your life, and an environment that you lived in and whatnot that caused you to think in a certain way. And with the help of a psychologist, uh, you can understand intellectually that problem. But it's an emotional problem. Do you understand? And so you, that helps you to get some distance from the problem, whereas previously you don't even know that you have the problem. You, you are the problem. The problem is you. So theoretically, then, you can get some distance from the problem, and then you can begin to deal with it. But the theoretical knowing isn't in and of itself the solution. There's action that has to take place. And on, on an emotional level, for that matter, for the most part, for that to be overcome or for the wiring in your head, you know, to be uh, redone so you can think about such things, whatever it may be, in a different way that doesn't cause you to be psychologically dysfunctional. So you can probably relate to that here. Working, you know, as a, as a teacher and so forth. and. And psychology is, of course, a little closer to us than spirituality, unfortunately, at this point. Social concerns, psychological concerns, they bear down on us a little more because it's, at the present, because it's, as I say, closer to our reality. So, here we're talking about spiritual problems, and things that are getting in the way of your, your spiritual progress and your realizing ultimate reality and the full utility of yourself, your highest potential and so forth. So scripture and sadhus, the guru, they give us the the knowledge, they give us theoretical knowledge by teaching. The scriptures are giving the theory, the the guru is teaching the theory and explaining it further and so forth. And he or she is hopefully exemplifying the teachings and inspiring us in that way as well. Um, But that is all um, there to help us take up the task ourselves. You have to fly yourself, right? You have to lift off one of these days. And so it takes time. So uh, identifying the problem theoretically, intellectually, understanding it, that's um, beginning of the solution, but it's not the end in itself. So you understand there are things that you are attracted to. You have no attraction for the name, but you are attracted to other things. That's why we don't have attraction to the name. (laughs) We are attracted to other things. That is rooted in what we call ignorance, avidya. You're trying to make some sense out of this, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's not a good reason for it in one sense. It's ignorance. That is at the root of our whole existence, material existence. So to uproot that is not an easy task. It takes takes some time. Mahaprabhu said, you're referring to, of course, that uh, his uh, plight, 
cited in the second stanza of Shikshastakam, coming after you know, so much positivity in seven statements in the first sloka. He's giving us so much encouragement. Chetadarvanamarjanam, Baba Mahadavagani Nirvapanam, things that are the goal of yoga marg, gyan marg. This is just the beginning of the, the, the fruit, the result of Damsan Kirtan. Shaya Kairava Chandrika Vatarnam, we discussed that in terms of how it corresponds with the fourth sloka and Ruchi last night at, at some length. And so on. All the way up, Purnamrita Svadhanam, Sarvatma Snapanam, Param Vijayate, says Sri Krishna Sankirtan. All these glories, and he continues then the flow of that into the second stanza as well. The name is filled with the Shakti of Bhagavan, has all power. It's a very merciful, user friendly. All this encouragement is coming, and then suddenly the, he comes with the antithesis. He's giving the the um, I say the uh, the um, for me it was sort of the reality check was oh it's so beautiful oh yeah that's where I am yeah Mahaprabhu was kind of speaking in a Vedantic way he gives the uh, what's the term you know the premise um, like thesis and yeah like that you can say you know, Hegelian sense thesis antithesis synthesis he gives the purvapaksha the opposing argument. He raises a sunshine, a doubt. Then, of course, he, he answers that and so forth. But the doubt, nanuraga, uh, na, na, nanuraga, I have no attachment. Bhakti Vinod says, ah, this, uh, this refers to anarthas of all sorts, the chief of which, of course, is, is uh, offense to the name itself. That would be like... Uh, there are sins of the mind and the flesh and sins of spiritual sins, if you will. So these things are there in the past, so they get in the way of our progress. Anarthas are basically false values, again, that arise out of a foundation of ignorance, which is what our life is uh, rooted in, material life. So to pull out the roots, you know, it takes, takes some time. Mahaprabhu spoke that Kaviraj Krishna says with great, uh, he swelled up with great humility. This is kind of a mental and intellectual humility, kind of an embarrassment in the face of such generosity and such a wonderful thing. I have no interest. So Mahaprabhu was saying there in one sense that if you've been really offensive to someone and you acknowledge it and humble yourself before them, that they won't leave you. They'll have to think somewhat kindly of you. There was a person executed in the state here not uh, long ago, and there's a person in California who's waiting to be executed, and it's a big issue. I live out there in California. And uh, so one of the things about the possibility of, of um, clemency intervening on the, and uh, giving mercy to such persons, commuting a sentence of death to life, prison without parole, something like that, is that there should be some sense of remorse for the crime committed. So if the, if the committee or the governor or doesn't, doesn't see enough 
remorse, then. But if he sees remorse, then this is then there's some possibility that so clemency may be extended. So, however, in the implication, the, the the idea is that however bad a person may be, if they admit it, then you can't really just dismiss them anymore. They admit I'm bad. I've done a bad thing. Then they get sympathy. Automatically, sympathy comes to them. Even if the crime was perpetrated against, you know, one's own family members, still some some sympathy. Well, so justice is there, and he's remorseful. That's good. So similarly, the point is that if remorse is there, when we acknowledge that uh, the generosity of Nam is such, its power is such, but I have no interest, no taste in that. I have other interests instead. The name won't leave us. Harinam will stay with us. This is Nanuraga, that kind of remorse. It's a kind of thought-out, well-reasoned humility. It doesn't mean that you, you're humble, necessarily, but you reason that you should be, anyway, and, uh, and that you've made so many mistakes. And, must be, because you know you have to judge a thing by the fruit. So if there's no taste in something that's sweet, then the problem lies with you. So the burden lies squarely on ourselves. We take responsibility. Like it. the name then remains very generous and stays with us, and that's then our only hope. So he goes on. She goes on chanting. Namaparad, but with this spirit. Mahaprabhu was teaching, I'm in a state of Namaparad here, but I have this remorse. That is my saving grace. Of course, then in the next look, he goes further and gives, as I said, some kind of decorum for the, for the serious devotee. But at this stage, then, also, so many of these unwanted things have, have been removed, so the resolve is, is greater major obstacles have, have been removed. So the humility in that verse, as high-sounding as it is, sometimes is a little, when we're in the lower stage, a little off-putting to us. In fact, there's a famous saying in Bengal that, oh, I heard about the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the Radha Prema and all such things. And so I decided to become a Gaudiya Vaishnava. But then when I heard this verse, I knew... I knew it wasn't possible to be a Gaudiya Vaishnava. So it is a high standard of, of humility. But the, the idea, we shouldn't think like that. We shouldn't become a Vaishnava, Gaudiya Vaishnava, because Mahabharu wants everybody to be humble. He wants you to, to acknowledge your, the, the reality of your situation with some remorse that I have no taste, take the name. And then, with that remorse, these obstacles will be removed because the name will stay with us and if he stays with us then surely there will be some some result, some purification. And then when we come to this third verse, we're talking about Nishta, so there's some realization here. Nishta is, is the beginning of of life really in a sense. And before that we're kind of like in the incubator or something like that. On a life support system but now some life of your own, some realization. As much as Mahaprabhu has described it in this way, where that humility can come from, it can only come from realization, from being coming close 
to the infinite, that will humble one who's finite. The sense of what, what a great thing I'm in touch with, this will bring this, this kind of humility. And that kind of humility will do away with the tendency for exploiting others. Therefore, Sarasvitaka once said, humility is uh, the absence of the enjoying spirit. So it means seeing oneself or, or glimpsing what oneself is. So this is a very kind of a realized humility. This humility is a very interesting topic, of course, in and of itself. In Chikshastakam, it comes from the second verse on. Second verse on till the end. It's not only mentioned in the third verse, but it, it's varying degrees of that humility to the point that in, in the end, uh, this humility becomes synonymous with prem. In second verse, it's talking about, in the third verse, where it's predominant and, and, and mentioned overtly, it's kind of the beginning of a, of a spiritual humility as opposed to a, a, a mental intellectual humility based on humility based on experience and as I say because it is is such then it brings the world to life because when we we interface with the world with sense objects with the view that they are objects that are to be enjoyed by us that's not a very humble way to move in the world. We're seeing as if I'm the subject and these are all objects for me to use as I see fit. It's easy to understand why one could fall into that because we are infinitely, in one sense, more valuable being a unit of consciousness than any material manifestation. But nonetheless, the whole of the material manifestation is all the Shakti of Bhagavan also. And we are one as well. So we are to be enjoyed, not to enjoy. And when we interact with the world, with the enjoying spirit, we take the life out of the world because it has a life of its own in the mind, if you will, of God. It has a purpose. And we, we are interacting with the thing in terms of what we see its purpose to be, which is you know, the, something conjured up in the small world of our mind. We all live in this kind of sovereign domain of our own mind informed by the senses. Happy, sads, goods and bads are determined by the mind in touch with the senses and your happies are my sads. <laughs> your goods are my bads. Your hots are my, my colds. So we're at some opposition with one another. And the whole idea of spirituality is to come out of that frame of reference. And when we do, we see what? To the extent that we do, we see how small we are. And we also see the one who's actually big, and the fact that he's big in affection, so it's very comforting. So it's interesting. It's interesting because the humility of that verse is also a kind of confidence. This is not a psychological, you know, we think, we kind of adopt this humility that Mahaprabhu speaks of, kind of as a psychological ploy and by an intellectual sleight of hand and, and vocabulary and so forth. You follow me? Oh yes, Prabhu and Jai and <laughs> all this business. But we're as much of an enjoyer as, as ever, <laughs> oftentimes. So this stage speaks about real 
growth, giving up the enjoying spirit. It results naturally from seeing oneself, and then confidence comes with that. Therefore, when we hear devotees ask the question, well, look, Mahabharu says we should be humble, but, you know, I tried that. I was humble in so many situations, and, you know, I actually got exploited in this problem, and, and so forth. It's not really a clear understanding of what Mahabharu is speaking about. They become doubtful rather than confident. I mean, Mahaprabhu is speaking about nishta, bhakti, which is firm, and he's saying, to arrive at that, you have to become flexible. This is, you know, the funny kind of religion that we have. It's full of this kind of stuff. You have to become flexible to become firm. You have to bend over like this in order to become strong and unbreakable. Hmm? So you can see that this, this humility he's talking about in the context of nishta, nishta means confidence, fixed, sure. And also, it's interesting to note that confidence, real confidence coming from realization is often misunderstood by people who are beneath that standard as pride. If I say, I know, don't just do as I say. Somebody will think, you guys are a little proud. So confidence and pride are two different things. Therefore, this, hum- this humility that Mahaprabhu speaks about, this is a very different than you know, what you find in the English dictionary. The tolerance he speaks about in that verse is, is different also. It, it's, it's a giving kind of a tolerance. It's, a, it's filled with mercy. Hmm? And even that, again, this humility, this tolerance, is only a particular, like a beginning standard of tolerance. As that shikshastakism goes on, that tolerance again will come up. And humility will again come up. Higher standard of that, as I said about humility, all the way to the end. So, our position is we could take the second position, the beginning position, second verse. So, try to be... uh, uh, um, Humble in this way before the holy name. But I have. I should be humble because I have no, no taste. And why I have no taste? Because, well, I have so many other things that I'm interested in, really. And my interest in these things is rather embarrassing in comparison to the generosity of the name, the power of the name, the height of the name. The name. It's 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 simultaneously very uh, generous, and coming close to us, regardless of our position yet situated so high. I mean, we will take, as we discussed to some extent last night, we will take the name over anything, over the form of the Lord, over the guna, qualities, lila. And of course, in the name, all such things will be found in a real way through the name. So name is, is, is how it... Gauravak Vigraham Bandev. This way we should conduct ourselves. In Tanam. This is reigning supreme, in, especially in Kali Yuga. This is his, his time. And uh, like uh, Pujapachita Marsh used to like to say, he has an agenda of his own. An aggressor. Like I mentioned last night, Prabhupada, I came to your country as an aggressor. Moved as he was by the, his shraddha in Harinam. Nam is, uh, ha, has an agenda, and we're on it. We're accustomed to looking at things as, and including them on our agenda. 
gathering things, putting them in our file and pulling them out when it's convenient to uh, further our own agenda. We're accustomed to gathering information and facts and so forth. And we, we do this in relation to Krishna consciousness, but it's not fact-gathering. It's not, that's not what it's about. It's not like any more than we're a computer. We're not a computer. Computers can gather information, store it and spit it out and maybe even combine it in interesting ways and so forth. But we have a heart, we have a soul, <laughs> we have feeling. Krishna consciousness is most supposed to awaken that feeling, real feeling. So we can't, we can't approach it like a, like a computer and just collect data and then regurgitate it in an interesting way to further our own falsity, that I'm important, that I'm a big devotee, I'm an advanced devotee, or whatever may be the case. And it's easy to do because you could, this is great information. So it's like they even think maybe computers are alive. It's possible. They do some really interesting things. I mean, they've got a lot of great insights. Maybe there's something, you know, consciousness in there. <laughs> so we can fool ourselves pretty well and a lot of other people too. I mean, it's great theory. So if you speak it, a lot of people will find it interesting and have regard for you and. We're susceptible to that, so we'll take it and drink it. And we think we're living, we're getting life from that, but it's our death. So it's easy to uh, see oneself. We should be careful about that. That's not information gathering only. Hmm? So, yeah, we should have some remorse at this stage that we are attracted to so many other things, but Krishnanam has come to us. Mahaprabhu has given us Krishnanam. Our whole highest potential has come before us. And we are interested in so many other things instead. Distracted. If we hear these things like this, that will help us put things in perspective. Then a healthy kind of embarrassment, if you will will come within us in a sense of remorse and the name will want to stay with us as say and take us a little bit seriously then some we should expect some some result will come from that some good effect cheto dharpanam arjanam this kind of beginning baba maha davagani nirvapanam such big things easy it's easy for Harinam to do even the shadow of the name can do that What else? Yes. I have a question about, you said, Shri Prabhupada said, don't read too much. As far as uh, understanding these complicated things about um, the large numbers of uh, soldiers in the army and repenting Shastra, it seems unavoidable, though, for us to see symbolism there, to some extent. So how do we avoid that? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a lot of symbolism there and uh, metaphor and and so forth, and it layered with uh, with meaning. The shastras, uh, the descriptions of the leela, for example, we're talking about like so many akshahinis and, and eighteen days and sixty what was it, six million four hundred thousand people died. Yeah, all this kind of thing. One thing that is important to note is that it's 
easy for us to think about those things in our present times as if they are just stories that people in previous times without the information that we have took to be literal, took literally. And based on the information that we have and the, and the, the power of reasoning that we have, the, the, that is, again, based on information, we have more information available to us as to, you know, we have modern science, we know what's possible and what's not in, in many respects and so forth. And, we're less prone to superstition and, and, and all such things. To look back at that and think that people of those times who entertained those stories of Krishna to be uh, literal uh, and, uh, rather than just metaphorical, allegorical, symbolic, was a tendency for us to do that. Right? But we shouldn't think that Acharyas like Sanatana Goswami and Vishwanath Chakvaritaka, who are the principal commentators, for example, on Bhagavatam, on Krishna Leela, that they were, uh, that they um, didn't also pause to think, this sounds impossible. They've said it in their commentaries. They're not just gullible and ignorant less informed people who were taking these stories literally and if they had been a little better educated. They were highly educated people of their times. And certain kind of material information that's come to the surface in our times perhaps was, was, was not available. But in their own commentaries, there are places where Vishwana Chakravarti says, and it's understandable why someone might think this was impossible. So the same thoughts came into their minds that you're speaking about. They weren't just less informed. Basically, they gave a very uh, simple answer to that type of doubt, which was to refer to the Achintya Shakti of Bhagavan. Now that sounds, okay, well, that sounds a little, you know, easy way out, Achintya Shakti, but I think you have to you have to understand the, the philosophy that underlies the whole concept of the Leela and find sense there. Like I'll give you an example. I oftentimes say that what Krishna consciousness is really about at its foundation in one sense is about giving. Love is about giving, not about taking. So these inhabitants of Radhavan are fully giving. They found the perfect source to give to who's a complete taker. Krishna. So this combination, finding the, the absolute taker, then combining that with the desire to give absolutely, this can bring, we'll be successful then in our efforts to give, to love. Love is a very mystical thing. It's not a rational thing. It can't be explained. You get something by giving, but you can't hold it up afterwards and show it to everybody. Here it is. Look what I got. But you feel it. What you feel is yourself. You feel yourself grow. And it doesn't matter, in one sense, even if you give to an object that isn't the perfect object of love, you still gain, you still grow by giving. You feel more complete by giving. And the reason is because, to use a nice translation of Prabhupada's in, in the Gita, the Absolute is eternally situated 
in acts of sacrifice. So while we sacrifice in relation, for example, to our, our son or our daughter, we feel better, we feel more whole, we grow. The reason that we grow is because by that we're becoming closer to ultimate reality that is eternally situated in acts of sacrifice. So we understand this, we can universalize the present objects of our sacrifice. And when this sacrifice becomes whole and comprehensive and full through being informed as to what the ultimate object, the supreme object of love is, which they've gone at our charge to great lengths to explain, this is tattva, what it means, Krishna, and it's just a picture of that blue boy, cowherd, but what it all means, what the, what the canvas on which the art of that leela is drawn, supreme taker, that when the giving becomes complete, which requires it being in reposed in the supreme taker, it plays itself out in the form of this drama of Krishna Leela. So it, the Leela itself may sound like a story that's impossible and so forth. That's fine. But it's also, it's kind of almost impossible to think of absolute giving, complete giving, isn't it? Of being like that. But there could be people like that. And we know by our own giving, to the extent that we, we are givers, that that's where the getting is. So we're encouraged to, this is the secret of life, give and live, to give and give comprehensively. So what that will turn into, you can't even explain, however tangible it is to you, the experience of giving that's incomplete. As I say, you can't hold it up and show it to anybody. It's, it's beyond explanation. It's achintya. Understand? But it's real. And you can feel it. <laughs> you can know it. When we try to understand Krishna like this, as we will because we're rational beings, so you know, our intelligence is going to come into play and we have to use it to read the book. And just to listen to me, you have to, I'm trying to speak logically and appeal to your, you know, the language that you speak more readily. I mean, we're not really able to speak from the heart entirely. We could, hopefully, we can speak the language of uh, reason. Hopefully, so if saintly persons are kind enough to translate, if you will, their heart, which is beyond escapes intellectual explanation, into logical arrangement of words and reach out to us who who speak that language. And in the context of doing that, even if we don't understand the logic, or even because of our own particular psychology and sukriti, we don't agree with the logic, still they're benefiting us. I was saying Krishnanam is you know, an aggressor. Prabhupada came to this country as an aggressor. So that heart that's motivated, in, in which it, the court, that courtyard of the heart in which Krishnanam, these two syllables are dancing, that makes you know, the senses inert, in, unable to respond to the call of the wild, of the material senses, is not just sitting still. Shanti, shanti, shanti. It's pushing one up and on and out and aggressive and, and from that heart, dancing on his or her tongue, it enters into our ears and goes into our heart like an aggressor, like Pujapachita Marsh used to say. And Although we've erected high walls around our heart and locked doors, Krishna Nama is going in anyway. He's a thief. 
and stealing away our heart. Hari. So, <laughs> this experience of giving, really, it escapes explanation, even in our own relative limited experience. But we know it's there. And we know it escapes explanation. We just have to kind of bring people to, to somehow to give so that they can know it too and become more full. So, some people, mystics, in our tradition have explained full giving as Krishna Leela, this whole drama of Krishna Leela. It's beyond our capacity to understand it intellectually, and, we, and our intellect alone, unleashed upon that, will degrade it to the level of the intellect itself, which is a dead thing. So it will take the life out of it. Or it will draw some meaning from it, some symbolism, some metaphorical truth, and hopefully apply that in their life that they can grow in giving and in spirituality and come to experience more fully the very tangible but unexplainable experience of giving, of love, the fullness of that. The fullness that comes to the point of being unable to contain oneself. In other words, to, to, in celebration, that is the leela. It means reality is, is not still, it's dancing. I mean, even, what is his name? Nietzsche, he said something like that. You know, if there was a god, he'd be dancing. Well, we've got news for him. <laughs> he is. <laughs> we agree. Yes. So, I'm just kind of briefly getting into this a little bit, but if you, under, if you kind of plumb the depths of the what the Goswamis are talking about, uh, philosophically, the support for this Leela is immense. It's, it's, it's a huge philosophical support for the whole idea that Bhagawan is possessed of Shakti. And just to say, Attributed to his achintya shakti. We don't really understand that, so we go, well, that's kind of, that's not a very satisfying answer. Yeah, God's good because he can do anything. But if you really plumb the depths of the meaning of that, it's this whole concept of the Leela, this simple, it's a little complicated actually, story, as love lives are, of God, is well supported. We can get reason for it to satisfy our intellectual you know, tendency from that. And that hopefully will will also, as it's meant to, put our intellect in check from its tendency to bring the Leela down to its level. Krishna Leela is meant, especially in, in terms of its, the Prakat Leela, its appearance in this world, to take us out from our frame of reference. It comes within our frame of reference to take us beyond that. Our tendency is to try to keep it, to, to, to frame it, hmm, and date it within our frame of reference. That's where we are. And we, what are we? I mean, is it such a stretch? We are living, largely, as though reality is a person. And that person is us. Isn't it? So is it such a stretch to say that reality is a person, but it's not you? <laughs> it's Krishna. So reality has a life. And what possibility lies there? I mean, in our own material hierarchy of our material existence, we know what's possible on the physical plane is rather limited compared to what's possible on the mental plane. Right? If I was to ask you to take everything in this room out of here in one trip, physically, that it would be difficult. Mm -hmm. 
But if, if I told you to do it mentally, then it's possible. You could sit, remember everything, and take it with you. It's much more spacious, accommodating. Intellect is, is more broad, even, and spacious. And what to speak of than consciousness. And when we speak of consciousness, soul, so broad and expansive, I mean, this is nothing compared to what we're talking about in Krishna Lila, the potential of the soul's full development in relation to the supreme soul. What possibilities? And again, what is the whole foundation of the thing coming out from senses, sense objects, senses, mind, intellect, is moving in the opposite way in which this world works. This world works, if at all, by taking. In other words, we kill to live. This is unavoidable to maintain our sense of existence. So we're, it appears that that's how it works. We're telling you to do something completely the opposite. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's mystical. You can go an opposite way and you'll survive and grow and you live forever for that matter. You won't need any, you'll find you don't need to be protected. So real spiritual growth is, uh, is hardly an intellectual exercise. It doesn't fit. The soul won't fit inside the intellect or to speak of God. So, you know, I'm kind of giving a kind of an intellectual answer to, to this, but some people, you know, and I don't blame them, haven't bothered when they just say it's the Ajinta Shakti or Prabhupada says, you think too much, you read too much. And if we have faith in them, I'm not, I don't have the power to create the kind of faith that they did in my person. So I used my God-given intellect to help. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we are all, you know, Western people. Prabhupada told us we have to do it a little differently. We're troubled by the need for thorough, comprehensive explanations. That is our anartha, <laughs> in one sense. Makes it difficult for us. To proceed, we're proceeding with caution. That's the result of a big head, and you proceed everywhere with caution. So, but there, there is a, a wealth of, of explanation to satisfy our intellect as to the impossibilities, as it would appear, within Krishna Lila. All things possible. That's the nature of love. Love, you know, turns faults into ornaments. That's its power. So this again. This is the is the basis of the whole Leela. So we can think about it this way and have faith in a description of something that's beyond our present experience. And also based on the fact that we are in touch with someone who we have confidence, and that's, you know, an individual thing. In touch with someone whom we have confidence is really a giver, is really a full giver. I have confidence... And no one ever showed me the kind of love that my gurus have showed me. So I have confidence. They are givers. They really know how to give. That's my own personal experience. Other people may have different experience with them. That doesn't bother me. That's their problem, you know, from my point of view. But hopefully they find it somewhere else. That someone else, they feel like that in relation to someone else. And then, that's also very rational. Because as I say... Who's a giver, lover in a true sense of the term, who's forgotten themselves, that their giving is not even is beyond calculated. I mean, we're talking about not even people from Vaikuntha. Their love is calculated. I mean, they're serving God because he's God. And in Golok, then they're serving, uh, they're so close to Krishna that they, that they can't see that he's God. 
There's no distance there. One in love. When we went today, we visited Pierre Krishnamurti's temple. He wasn't there. So we came and I said, so now we're going to see the heart of Pierre Krishnamurti. At least a good, good part of it. The heart of the devotee, and then there's Krishna. And the two are the same. <laughs> so we're in touch with that. We have, we, if we have confidence, we're in touch with that kind of heart, giving, loving heart. Then we know that that person has an experience of giving that exceeds our experience of giving, which our experience we can't describe, we can't convince anybody of, except by our example that we are better off for it or happier and, and therefore they, they take it up. So my point is intellectually convincing and so forth is only you know possible to a point. But faith, bhava, ecstasy, that will convince us. Dr. Kapoor, you know, Dr. Kapoor Prabhupada's Godmother, he told me uh, the story. I've told the story before. Forgive me for repeating it, but um, something that's worth repeating. Uh, how he got converted to uh, Gaudi Vaishnava because he was a Mayavadi and he was a pretty learned fellow, young man and so forth. And, and so some of the sannyasi disciples of Saraswati Thakur went and in the canvassing they met him and they preached to him and they couldn't, they couldn't quite convince him. So they said, well, I cannot convince you. We cannot convince you, but our Gurudev can convince you. So he said, all right, well, then bring me to your Gurudev. So they told Gurudev, this is a nice young man. You know, he's very well educated and he's you know, educated in Dvaita Vedanta and so forth. And we couldn't make a convincing arguments to him. And um, so we brought him here. So Prabhupada, Sarasthalka agreed to give him a darshan. It was arranged. And Dr. Kapoor said that he walked in and Sarasthalka talk was sitting on a chair alone. The door was closed. So he thought, okay, give me a chance, and before I agree, I'm going to ask all these questions and so forth. And he said, he didn't give me a chance to speak. He just spoke for 45 minutes about the Brajalila of Radha Govinda. And he did with such feeling. And then he stopped, got up, and walked out. That I was convinced, he said. <laughs> you can't feel like he feels, like I perceive that he's feeling about this thing. And it could be only what Shankar says it is. Must be something more. So then he said, I stayed and I got to travel with him for six months. And every time after the lecture, for six months, he would, so I said, Doc would ask, so any questions? And Dr. Kapoor said, and I would raise my hand, because I still want to, you know, ask one of those, the way to verses. And he would, so no questions? All right. He would <laughs> ignore, <laughs> ignore me. <laughs> but then he said, uh, then, he was somewhere on, on, on some service, uh, maybe in, 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 in uh, Rajasthan, and the Shankaracharya, one of the, the four Shankaracharyas of the, of the Advaita school, was in town. And the king, and there were kings still in, in India in those, in those days, was his disciple. And so he was giving a, a program, so Dr. Kapoor went to the program, and he listened and so forth, and then there were questions. And so he started asking questions. And, you know, and then he realized, well, Gurudev has put so many, he never answered my question, but so many things he's placed in my heart. And I'm asking these questions, he's giving the answer, and I'm going back and forth with the Shankaracharya. And he said, he looked around, and, you know, he's, it's the king, and he's got all of his assistants with their swords, and they're it's getting a little tense, because 
he kept defeating, you know, not defeating, but deflecting that argument, that argument, you know. And then it got to a certain point, and Dr. Kapoor said, and I knew I had him, because his answer to my question involved shifting the ground. It's a, you know, they're talking about paramartic reality and uh, ultimate reality and, and the so-called practical reality. These are all arguments of Advaita Vedanta and so forth. And anyway, he asked the question, and Shankar tried to answer it, shifted the ground, and he, his answer would have been, ah, but you've shifted the ground here in the argument. But he said, I, I was satisfied I had him, and I didn't want to have my head cut off <laughs> either by, you know, giving the final, you know, blow like that or something. So, anyway, I like the story. It's a nice story, and it, uh, and again, it illustrates my point that that would be convincing. Be in touch with people of faith, people of feeling. That would be more... And that is why we're here, you know, and we do get bothered by our intellect, and it kind of gets in our way and drags us down sometimes and so forth. But that's why we're here, because of those people, and because we're one of those people to some extent, too, because we actually have some experience from this. One of my godbrothers once told me, this was after many years of being in the mission and so forth, after many years after Prabhupada had left, and I hadn't seen him in a long time, and he said, you know, Marsh, I wanted to ask you a question. He said, I know that I'm eternal. I know that, because I've experienced that by being absorbed in service and so forth. I have to experience that I exist. In, a, in, a, in an enduring way. But how do I know that Krishna is real? I said, well, how do you know that you're, you're eternal? By serving Krishna. <laughs> so maybe that's part of the answer. <laughs> that's how you got it, that experience. Are you serving a non-eternal object? Is that how you got it? <laughs> Something like that. So Krishna is real. Krishna, Leela is real. Krishna is... And it is a bit fantastic. In fact, even in Bhagavatam, you will find that in some places the inhabitants of Vrindavan found Krishna Leela unbelievable. They say they couldn't believe what happened. And the witch, she was a beautiful lady. She turned into a witch, and then she was 12 miles long. And then we burned her body, and it turned into like incense. This is unbelievable, but it's happening. Hmm? And in fact, the matter is really that the whole, you know, it's all... Krishna. There's only Krishna. So the whole thing is fascinating. How do you cut up a 12-mile-long body <laughs> and, and make a bonfire? That's kind of, how many people would it take? You, you start analyzing on that level. Right. Yeah. One bite at a time. But how do you put a seed? How do you put a? How do you put a, a, a mango tree instead of a seed? If I, if I was to, if you didn't have the experience, and I was to bring you a little seed, and said, you see this basket of mangoes here, hundred mangoes, they're all inside of the seed. You would tell me that it's, you know, that was impossible. But we have experience of that. But the problem with us is that, that we have experience of the adbuta, the chamatkar that life is based on. This is the foundation of rasa. Life is rasa. That's a fact. The basis is wonder, astonishment, chamatkar. Why we have no chamatkar in the face of these wonderful things that thousands of mangoes inside of, of a tiny seed? Because we're experiencing the world through the mind, through the intellect, through the senses, rather than directly. The senses are getting, eyes are getting in the way of our seeing, ears are getting in the way of our hearing, the tongue is getting in the way of our tasting, intellect is, and mind are getting in the way of our, our knowing. 
so we, 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 we were, and we were accustomed, we were, we, we, you know, we suffered from the sin of, of boredom in the face of most, you know, exciting thing. Us, for that matter, and reality. So we're not, we're not paying attention, we're not, uh, and Krishnanam comes in a loud way to, like, capture our attention. Gurudev speaks in a loud way to try to capture our attention and, and, and uh, to take note of it's all around us. Everything is mystical. The way, again, the way life moves is mystical, progressively anyway. By giving, you get. Giving is the getting. It doesn't make any sense. It's not rational, but it, it's true. And we have little, even we have little experience of it. The reason we hold back is because we don't have enough experience of it. That means we don't give enough. But if we're not growing, living, living and excited, I mean, life, to be alive is supposed to be exciting. <laughs> but life is about giving. So the more we do that, and as I say, do it everywhere. Universalize the object of your love because he is universal, Krishna. He is everywhere. So when you have the opportunity to make a sacrifice and give, even in within your so-called you know, material side of life, there is no material side to your life. Think of it like that. <laughs> So many opportunities present themselves for you to sacrifice. You should see God in that. And if you make the sacrifice, then you will. But the material world is real. You can't deny that. There's no material side of life. <laughs> Not for a devotee. Tasyarte yachanonitya uttama sloka varte. I mean to say... We reject it. We want to leave it. No, no, you don't want to leave it. Leave behind the material world. You want, a, you want an integrated you spiritual want life. Leave it. What I'm saying to you is you don't want to, you don't want to be a Kanishtadikari. That means that, the, that Krishna is only in the temple. And when you go outside and then you treat people like, you know, something other than what they are, part and parcel of Krishna. So if you take the, the object of your love and universalize, then... Vishvanath Chakravarti Thakur, why would you want to leave? He said, Vishvam Purnam Sukhayate, the world is an abode of happiness. So it's a question of angle of vision. We want to change our angle of vision. Mahaprabhu didn't want to go anywhere. Mama Janmani Janmanishvare, Babatat Bhakti Rahai That's what I mean. Yes, material world is real. Kind of. For some people who are in illusion, <laughs> it's real for, them. real for them, but not for us. We are devotees. We should be devotees, sadhakas, sadhakas, anyway. There's some solace in being a sadhaka, knowing that I'm doing, doing the right thing. There should be some happiness and comfort in that. And growth will come from that. So that's the whole idea, is, is to spiritualize the whole world by changing our angle of vision, to be content where we are. Because where are we? <laughs> where are we? This is a question of our uh, level of development, consciousness. We are there. But just speak on this, um, what Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, that he gives the intelligence by which we can come to him. Is this related to this way of knowledge that you're saying that it's not quite intellectual, but uh, it's giving to you uh, by grace and by your giving and quite more? You mean like the Dami Buddhi Yogam? Come, I, I give the knowledge by which he. Related, 
Could you speak on that? What is this Krishna is talking about exactly? It's never really clear to me. What is it he's saying that I'll give you the intelligence? Yeah, at Buddha Yoga there is synonymous with bhakti. Because, after all, this is coming, this verse, in the wake of chapter 9, where Krishna has become emotional. In Gita, in chapter 9, Krishna has, Krishna has become very emotional. Before that, he's not very emotional. It starts a little bit at the end of the sixth chapter. Now he's talking about the theology of the Gita. He's talking about himself. He's talking about bhakti. He's talking about himself means he's talking about bhakti because there's no difference between Krishna and love of Krishna in the sense. The two are one and different at the same time. So he reaches a very high pitch there. I mean, he gets really um, almost belligerent as one emotionally you know, charged person can get. He says, a pichet sudarachoro it's like, whoa, Krishna's losing it here. He says, and if he's my devotee, if she's my devotee, even if she does anything wrong, it doesn't matter. You should worship them. Even if they're doing wrong, not durachar, sudurachar, even if they're very misbehaved, but they love me, then you better like them or else. <laughs> he's like, whoa, he's like really coming out here. Bhakata Vatsal is our, this quality of Krishna is our saving grace. So then he overflows into the 10th chapter with that chapter slok. He says, Dadami Buddha Yogam Tamsa. He's very emotional here. He's speaking about bhakti. That chapter 9 is Rajavidya. What is the, what is the king of knowledge? It's Shuddha Bhakti. It means. Buddhi means intelligence. It means that inside of love, there's a kind of knowledge. When you love, you know what to do. And what kind of knowing do you have? Essential knowing. Now we have so much knowing, intellectual knowing. We know about so many things that are not in our interest. We know how to do so many things that more or less constitute how to stay in ignorance. So that's a different kind of knowledge. Krishna's not talking about intellectual knowledge. He's talking about bhakti. I give them understanding. I give them bhakti. I share with them. And in that is essential knowing. If he gives the knowledge of how to come to him, then that must be the knowledge that's, that's uh, within love, that kind of essential knowing. Nothing superficial, nothing extraneous, non-essential. So, Yes, he says, Tesham. And after all, he says, Tesham satatayuktanam bhajatam purvakam. The people who are doing this, who are loving me and are consistent in that, those people then I give this to, he says, who are constantly worshiping me with affection. I give this special kind of knowledge to know me on uh, my terms, special terms. So, I mean, you have to use your intelligence. You, you have to. If you've got it, it will really trouble you. Beg to be used and so forth. But you have to be careful to use it in a spiritual way. There's a nice statement in Bhagavatam. Nasta prayeshu abhadveshu nityam bhagavata sevaya. Bhagavati uttama shlokir bhakti bhavadinastiki. Everybody knows this verse. Or should. It says by regularly studying the Bhagavatam, which requires, you have to use your intelligence to study a book like Bhagavatam, right? 
by regularly studying Bhagavatam and the things in your heart that are in your way, they'll, they'll gradually come out. They'll be almost completely destroyed. Your bhakti will become fixed and so forth. And you go on from there. So it's talking about nishta, naishtiki, nairantarja, this kind of bhakti. So it means that intelligence should be applied there. That means study of Bhagavatam means study of Vedanta Sutra, study of a commentary of Vedanta Sutra. Sutras are kind of the logic of how the scriptures all work together. It's a concordance of all these apparently diverse uh, sounds going in different directions, showing how they're all really pointing in the same direction. So it means that use your intelligence in this way, study the Bhagavatam. But we're also told by Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami that there are two types of Bhagavatam, right? He says in Adi Lila, explaining his Namaskar verse, Bande Sri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Goradai Pushpabanto Chitro Sando Tamonudo Gaur Nityananda have come to give this brain, dissipate the darkness of ignorance, the cheating of the desires for Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. We should take their message and hear it from two types of Bhagavatams. Bhagavatas, the book Bhagavat, he says, and the person Bhagavat. So, now, if you get this from the book Bhagavatam and the person Bhagavatam, it's very interesting because you can read a book and it can just be an intellectual exercise, even Srimad Bhagavatam, right? But it's difficult to serve a Bhagavata, a real devotee, and turn that into an intellectual exercise. That'll be pretty hard. So, it's telling us that that we shouldn't, we won't get it by reading the book as an intellectual exercise. If doing that, reading the book, studying the Bhagavatam, you can derive the same result as serving the person Bhagavatam, which really can't be an intellectual exercise if I just say, do this, do that, go here, go there, stop thinking. Mm -hmm. Give you no time to think, no life for yourself, you just do what I say. And then you can get Krishna consciousness. If you can get it like that. So, or you can do it by studying the Bhagavatam. It doesn't mean, or you can do it by just using your intelligence. No. It means this study of the Bhagavatam is similarly an act of submission. Indeed, that's what the Bhagavatam says. It gives a very healthy, if not a heavy, bashing of the intellect. What Mahaprabhu likes so much from Ramananda Roy, Gane Prayasra Udapasya Namunta this sloka, spoken by the four-headed one, who was, you know, he's got big brain, four of them, well thought out fellow. He said, this is a really counterfeit currency. You can't buy real estate in Goloka with this alone. Don't make this an intellectual approach, but use your intellect, right? So it's a tricky thing because, after all, intellect is more subtle than senses, more subtle than mind. The more subtle it is, the more close it is, in a sense, to the soul on a high, material hierarchy. So it's more potentially deceptive, has greater potential to deceive. We can make it an intellectual-like sleight of hand, and it's it going to look very spiritual. We can convince ourselves it's spiritual. That's why we need... Should our just tell me, if any real intelligent person comes here, I have to bang on this point, harp on this point again and again. Gyan shunya bhakti, gyan shunya bhakti. Our goal is this. Bhakti unencumbered by the by the need to know and figure it all out. And, but then you say, but Marsh, I have to figure it out to some extent. Yeah, to this point. To this you've got to figure it out to this point. Then you're really getting somewhere with your intellect. 
I mean, I've read so many books, you know. After a while, you realize. I used to, you know, I read all the Prabhupada's books many times. And there was a point where every tape that he had out, I was current with. Then, after Prabhupada's departure, then I got exposed to so many other books. I thought, well, I've got, I'm, I'm up to date. I've got everything that's come from, you know, the spiritual world right here. <laughs> I've got it. I used to, I used to listen to Prabhupada's tape in the morning, and then I'd go to the airport in Los Angeles to sell a book, and I would repeat the tape, you know, to myself or whoever was there. Like, I could memorize it. <laughs> so there I was. I had everything, you know, and whatever other, you know, news is coming, I'm going to... So anyway, after a while, I realized even just the, what's been written about this is just like too much to digest, to, to ingest, to... to, to uh, and so you kind of you get to a point where I don't read that much anymore. <laughs> it's, there's something more to it <laughs> Then, uh, you know, for preaching, you have to read a little bit and, and have a little knowledge. It's it's useful, as useful as it informs your your your, your practice, and strengthens it. Otherwise, it may make the heart harder, make the head fatter. You should use your head to soften your heart. That's what it should be used for. Granted, without some bandagan, without some information then your chanting will not be very fruitful. That's true. So we should be informed. and you know, We have so many books, we should study them. Don't take this now as a license. Well, I don't have to read. You have to read. I don't have to read as much, but you, <laughs> some of you, anyway, have to read. I heard once, Govindamarsh, Marsh's successor, gave a, gave a lecture, <laughs> and, uh, and he was talking about how Ishwar Puri Pada told um, Mahaprabhu that uh, you don't study Vedanta, just take the name of Krishna and so forth. So he was kind of belaboring this point over and over again. And everyone's listening, you know, yeah, just chant Hare Krishna, you know, you don't have to be a big intellectual and study so many books. And So he's making this point and making it over and over again. And I was listening to him. And I'm he's quoting this verse, and he's quoting that verse, and then he's this verse. He knows that whole section by heart from Chaitanya Bhagavad. And, 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 you know, and I, was, I said, I thought, a thoughtful listener will understand what he's saying here. It's two, two sides of it. Hmm, you understand? To arrive at that, to be convinced of that, it took some convincing of someone, Sridhar Marsh, <laughs> to convince Govinda Marsh, and all that convincing is inside of him, and it comes out when he tries to convince all that someone again, in other words. So there's a place for that. But there's a place where the scale tips also, and because we're actually, we're kind of getting somewhere by that, we like that. And then we, end, we, we can kind of uh, go off, off balance, so to speak, and just collect that information and neglect our our practice otherwise, and not gather it with a view to, to inform our practice, and this is the whole idea, and, and purify ourselves. You know, you should read it to get something out of it, not that you can just tell somebody else what to do, but listen to what, it, what it's telling you to do. And it's easy to agree with that, but then you have to do that. <laughs> That's what we call submissive hearing. You should come and hear and listen to something that pertains to you and your advancement, and then take it imbibe it, make it part of your being. That's how you become a spiritual person. Devotee, another word for devotee is satam, truthful. 
Well, it's hard to be honest. It's hard to be truthful. We should listen intently for that. Not for some you know, joke or story or it's entertainment, it's a good time, and, but something that pertains to, to my progress. If I go to any talk, listen to anybody, if I can hear one point even, I think, well, okay, I got something there. It was worth, worth going with this kind of spirit. Then you can even make something out of a bad lecture. It's possible. <laughs> There's two parts to the equation, you know, the speaker and the hearer. The hearer could be better than the speaker. It's possible. And Vyasa, what is it? Vyasa Veti Naveti Va. Am Vedmi Sukam Veti. Vyasa Veti Naveti Va. Vyasa may know, he may not know. Something's coming through him. We find there are people that understand Srimad Bhagavatam better than Vyasa. At least they've explained it in a unpacked it. And if he knew it, he sure condensed it. This is how we should try to be, you know, if we're a speaker or a listener, try to be the best listener. That means listen with your heart. There's no shortage from that side. The shortage is on, on this side and our interest and receptivity and so forth. Yes? That story you told of uh, someone coming, some intellectual coming to Bhaktisiddhanta, and he was saying, if you want to know Srimad Bhagavatam, go to the garden. Yeah, yeah. Pujapati Purimarsh, Pramod Purimarsh, told me that story. He said, you know, if Purimarsh could be so earnest, I mean, when he would speak, just so earnest. I mean, in a way, he was like not as eloquent. That's three down march, but the, the earnestness in his voice was just so compelling. And it reminds me of this story because he said, yes, one fellow wanted to hear Bhagavatam from Bhaktisiddhanta and had, you know, a lot, wanted to discuss it on a high level and, and, uh, and so forth, and intellectually high, I guess. And uh, Saraswati Thakur, Purimar said, referred him, he said, in, without any facetiousness, Really, he meant it. Talk to the gardener. He understands Srimad Bhagavatam, one of his disciples. He wasn't being facetious. And the man thought about this guy's being facetious. He meant it. He, he, he had understood Srimad Bhagavatam. You know, there's a nice story about that I like to tell, about how to understand Srimad Bhagavatam. There was a man, had a son, wanted his son to be educated, sent his son to Banaras, to get an education, it's a place of learning. So his son went there, got an education, came back, and his father said, so, did you get an education? He said, yes. What books did you study? He said, oh, this book, that book. And he said, oh, but you didn't study Srimad Bhagavatam. He said, no, I didn't know about that book. So father said, oh, you've got to go back to Benares and get an education. Because if you haven't studied Srimad Bhagavatam, you can't say you've been an educated person. So his son went back and he studied Srimad Bhagavatam. Then he returned. Father said, so you studied Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, yes, and now I know why he sent me back. That book alone, studying that book alone, is more education than all the other books that I've studied. So his father said, well, good, have, have you understood it? He said, well, I, yeah, I studied it, I understood it. He said, well, then go back and study it again. So he went back and he studied it a second time. Then he came back. His father said, so, have you... Um, Understood. Have you studied Srimad Bhagavatam a second time? He said, yes. And 
now I understand why you sent me back. I didn't, I mean, now I, what I didn't understand anything really the first time. Now I've understood. So he said, so you understood. He said, yes. He said, go back. Study that a, th- a third time. So again, he went back and studied Srimad Bhagavatam, and then he returned. And father said, so, did you study a third time? He said, yes. And have you understood Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, no, I can't understand Srimad Bhagavatam. He said, now you've understood Srimad Bhagavatam. <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted to. Now you're an educated person. You can't, reality can't, doesn't fit between the ears. Something like that. Again, this is, this is difficult because it's close to us on a hierarchy, as I say, of our material being. We have our senses, we have our mind, we have our intellect. It's becoming all more and more subtle. In that sense, closer to the soul, although the soul is categorically different, still is, it's easy to delude ourselves intellectually. And it's so much closer to us. Therefore, if I say, if I say to you, you know, you're a little overweight, and you are, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll go, yeah, you know, I don't know, I'm not the body, you know, <laughs> or something like that. It's, it's easier for you to distance yourself from the body. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> it's easier for us to distance ourselves from the body than it is to distance ourselves from, from the mind, or from the intellect. If you have a physical illness, for example, you can... Without any philosophy or not much, you can distance yourself from it anyway. But if you're mentally ill, then it's just like, it's, if you have a mental illness, it's harder on you. You understand? It's much harder. I'm crazy, you think. My body's sick. You can, you can distance yourself from that. But if you're mentally, if I insult your intelligence, you will just, that'll be very <laughs> insulting. So it's potentially then, you know, we, we see it as, a, as, a, as an instrument that will help to liberate us. And in one sense it is, but it, it's a two-sided sword. The other side it's potentially has the greatest power to delude us and keep us within the, uh, the snare of maya. Avishudhudaya vimuktamanena aruyakachchena paramapadam tada Intelligence is not clear. He thinks he's liberated. Abhishuddha Buddhaya. Vimukta Manina. It's a famous verse from Bhagavatam. Important verse. You can go that far. In a real simplistic sense, this, this goes on in the contemporary so-called spiritual world. People think themselves into enlightenment. It's quite common these days. They imbibe some, some theory that you should be detached. And then they decide, I'm detached. Yes, I'm detached. I only do it if I want to. <laughs> Many people out there these days have thought themselves into enlightenment when the process is, involves stopping the thinking process. Stop thinking about Krishna consciousness and be Krishna conscious. That's the idea. We think about it too much and it gets, often gets in the way of our being Krishna conscious. This is a very strong emphasis of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur and his group. And it's not appreciated by people who, you know, whose intellectual appetite is hard to satiate. They may have some points of their own, and there are different approaches. We'll judge by the result. One thing's sure, result comes in this sector also, in this party bar, in this lineage, it comes. That's for sure. 
or they come somewhere else. Then. That may be sure too. Fine. And probably if you really got down to it, the two sure cases, you find that the contradictions weren't really there, that, that appear to be there. That's a whole other topic, but... Yes? Like in the Gita where Krishna says one who applies himself well to either of these paths to achieve the results of both, and he's talking about some philosophical search for the absolute. Yeah. Something like that could be applied. That's an interesting, interesting angle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a more long, roundabout, painful, dry way, but that would, if you were doing like that, it would eventually take the... Well, yeah, he's saying that by action that is detached and by that approach or by approach of knowledge, you can derive the same result. Yeah, he favors the the former. So, it's nice chatting with you all. It's a very friendly environment uh, that's been created here. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Nitai Gaur ki jai. Gaur Premanandai.